Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Treehouse, episode 54. Markby, Markby and Markby. With Danny Baker and me, Louise Pepper. Well, it's a truncated version of your name, of course. It's Louise Napoleon Pepper, the great-granddaughter of Ho Chi Minh. Thank you. Uh, if you wish to know why that would be, if you're a first-time listener, then there's just the other 53 shows to go through. <laughs> and it'll all make perfect sense. Very good morning to you, everybody. Uh, here we go again, another uh, show for old and young without the slightest hint of vulgarity. I said three hours. I used to say three hours of uh, fun for old and young, but uh, again, I don't want to scare away all the hayseeds. So, a uh, very good morning to everyone. We're actually going to get straight into this mm. in a second. In a second, Peps. Uh, it's 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 uh, the next show is being recorded on uh, Louise's birthday, isn't it? Yes. Thank oh, you very much. <laughs> oh, that worked. The great age of forty-two on Friday. Oh, uh, the legend. Oh boy, I hang for every year you're over forty-five. But if that's the official, uh, uh, <laughs> I've known you a long time, Louise Napoleon. Uh, anyway, check your local press for details of street parties in your area. But to today's uh, extravaganza, and uh, uh, you see, this won't mean anything to anyone out there but not as the rest of it so why start now uh, but look at that bit of paper i'm holding up on the uh, on the cameras there Luke, oh it's so much chock left. full full of scribble it's full of scribble just notes i made at the crack of dawn today to say look this is where we are look, uh, for instance uh, i'll give you the very first one over the rainbow uh, was recorded today uh the judy garland's over mm-hmm. the rainbow she was in the studio doing it uh two things here uh it was written by uh, Harold Arlen and Yip Harburg, of course. Um, Harold Arlen asked his wife, Anya, to pull over outside Schwab's drugstore. It, it suddenly occurred to him. It was the last thing written for the film, and she was driving past. Pull over, pull over, I've got to write this down. It popped oh. into his head. Although people say, if you listen to uh, Pietro Mascani's 1895 opera, Ratcliffe's Dream, it, it, there's a certain resemblance. Oh. To, yes, there is. I went on this morning, and, and listen, yes, it does. It does sound a, a little like it, but that's all good because it's a cyclical thing, because who stole After the Rainbow for his biggest hit? I asked you this, Louise Napoleon Pepper. Uh, who then, if you know he leaned on uh, Mascani's opera, who then leaned on uh, Harold Arlen and Yip Harburg? And put, perfectly re- put his hands up and said, yep, yeah, yeah, took some years, but people got it in the end. David Bowie, when he wrote Starman. What? Starman is, is a rewriting of Over the Rainbow. There's a Starman, there's over somewhere, over... The... And if you listen to uh, bootleg recordings of Bowie in 72, 73, he used to interpolate it. He used to go into somewhere over the rainbow. No. Yeah. yeah. He said, and people still didn't think, oh, well, that's where you got it from. 
There's a star man waiting in the sky somewhere over the right. That's what was in his head. No. Yeah, I'm afraid so. It's a star man. Oh, well, but it's, he can it's, pack up the podcast now. Done. <laughs> but there's all of that. Um, by the way, oh, we're trying to get on to your very good. Thank you very much for the responses to uh, the uh, subject requests. Uh, uh, there's a version that was cut out of the film, uh, which was at the end when she's imprisoned by the witch and she turns that great big um, uh, hourglass upside down and goes, this is how long you've got to live, my pretty. <laughs> uh, in the film, uh, she just goes, oh no, oh no. But uh, in the original version before it was cut, she turns around and breaks down in tears and goes, somewhere. Oh, oh. And you can get, it's on oh, YouTube cope with uh, that. in stills because they've lost, they've got the audio and it is so sad. The only bit they kept of that it... That film like, scared me enough as it is. I don't, I no, it's heartbreaking. Well. If, you, if you go on YouTube and put in Over the Rainbow Reprise, it's on there and they try, they recreate it with the stills. And the only bit they kept is at the end when she goes, I'm scared, Aunt Em, I'm scared. They left that little bit oh, in when she looks into the uh, crystal ball. But the, the song was cut, but the audio remains. See, there's plenty there. When we go Patreon and, and, and we ask people to, you know, what is they say? Uh, less than a cup of coffee, you get eight shows a month. Uh, that's an, that's plenty there. We may pack up the tent and say, that's your lot. Uh, get out, let's get the next house in. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, uh, the second thing I want to tell you is um, equally, it's John Young, the astronaut John Young, right? Oh. It's He's not so well known as the other astronaut. No, 1965, John Young uh, was on the Gemini space flight going around the world. And it's dull. But what we know, why we like John Young, he's the very first astronaut ever to be reprimanded and disciplined by NASA on his return. Oh, now, what did he do? Was it, see, if it, this were one of them, um, you know, laddish panel games, everyone said, well, you know, well, did he, uh, you know, oh, did, oh. He, uh, did he uh, wee out the window? Well, they'd probably say worse than that. Mm. Uh, but in fact, what he did is funnier than anything anyone can come up with. John Young, in 1965, on the Gemini space flight was reprimanded and disciplined because it was found he had sneaked a corned beef sandwich on board. <laughs> yes, he did. He'd seen, seen what they had to eat in space and he sneaked a corned beef sandwich, successfully sneaked a corned beef sandwich on board. He gave it to his uh, to Gus Grissom, who was his co-pilot. He must going along, Gus, Look what I got here. Oh man. <laughs> I'll give you 50. How long had it? I mean, you'd have to eat it day one, wouldn't you? You couldn't. I don't know. Doesn't pour it away. Fresh in space, I'm asking you, Peps. Doesn't food. Well, I have a space obsessed son. When Wilbur comes home from preschool, ask I'll ask him. He'll be able to tell ask us. Ask him about corned beef sandwiches in space. And he sneaked it on. It would be like. Say? And they found out. Of course they did. But he probably looked into the camera and said, What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm, 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 I'm going around the moon. What are you going to do? I'm eating my corn, mm, mm, a corn beef sandwich. Bravo him. And the last thing before we crack on with the show, uh, even though we have plenty, I suspect. Uh, by the way, Peps, mm. I nearly called you Pepsodent at the time. I'm sorry to do these flipping, you know, always broadcast like yourself. Do you know what Pepsodent is, even? Um, I I don't know whether I remember this or you have played it before with with Pepsodent. That's it. <laughs> it's, I would have played it. it used... I don't know what's real and what's false memory anymore. Let me, let me ask you this, just before we get going. Uh, let me ask you, Peps. Um, what toothpaste do you do you use in your house? Ariel. Um, no, Ariel's not a toothpaste, is it? <laughs> it varies. Um, currently, a Colgate. 
good yeah, old cold yeah, day. I think that's the default. Mm. That's the, sometimes I've gone out on a limb and tried those, you know, uh, arm and hammer things. Yeah. Mm. Uh, they're probably very, very good for you. But uh, 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 so the, the cold is the standard. Pepsodent was the number one leading brand ever. I mean, Pepsodent toothpaste was it. Was it the pink one? I don't what was know. The pink no, one the pink, that was horrible. Pink, well, pink, pink ones are still going. Yeah, they've got that kind of. Um, they taste like uh, not chiclets. Uh, root beer dentine. or something awful. Not, not they root taste beer. like natural dentine. In mm. fact, I believe somebody. It was left... a horrible pink one when I was a child. Yeah, and it, if it didn't go all back in, the, if you put the cap back on it, a little bit would leak out. And I think somebody saw that and it solidified, chewed it, and thought, oh. "I'll invent dentine." Oh, the, that's what dentine. it is. Oh, oh, hard no. bit of toothpaste. Oh, I worked with someone oh. in London Weekend Television long before beards were fashionable, and uh, he had a hardened nugget of toothpaste in his beard, stuck in his beard, a little hard patty of it was just there. It was there for nearly three weeks. It was there for nearly three weeks. I know. He lived alone, the... I take it. I don't know. I don't oh. know. But in the end, you know, we had to say. You've got something. Oh, I only tried to pull it out, and of course, it wasn't. It was a dear, uh, old, dear old friend by then. Oh! He disappeared to the toilet, I think, with some nail scissors. So, here we go. Uh, uh, by the way, Pepsodent. Yes, it's you wonder where the yellow went when you brush your teeth with Pepsodent. But at school, we used to sing, You wonder where your teeth have gone when you brush them with an atom bomb. That's how long ago that was. Anyway, the last thing before we knuckle down to bring you another treehouse. Uh, mm -hmm. Free, free as the air you breathe. For now, uh, uh, Theda Bara, Theda Bara, one the the. Uh, no, I don't I'm hear many Thedas, do you? Well, the, Theda Bara um, was the most famous sex symbol in the world and a great actress between like nineteen. Hang on, 19, I'm looking her up. Nineteen twenty. You, you've seen her photo everywhere. She was uh, she was the it girl literally because IT magazine, International Times used her photograph at the top. You've Ooh. probably seen her around. Uh, she was no. She was the original vamp. She was the vamp, uh, the Theda yes. Bara, and she was advertised Theda Bara as the daughter of an Arab sheikh and a French woman lost in the Sahara. Oh uh, yes, I, I see her in, now. In fact, she was a uh, Theodosa Goodman, and her dad was a Jewish tailor from Poland, and <laughs> she went to Walnut Hills High School. But other, other than that, the myth, myths were true. Uh, but the family name, good luck to women. She became a big star. They changed the family name to Bara. And the publicity, uh, some genius in publicity, and this is what she was mainly known for, the wonderful Theda Bara. Uh, the publicity said, Theda Bara is an anagram of Arab death. That's oh. why she's got a name. It's not, oh. it is, but it, that was coincidental. Someone took about six months said, yeah, if you notice that, and that became the big thing. Anyway, happy birthday to Theda Bara. Um, she was the slow-eyed vamp. Now you've heard that expression, slow-eyed vamp? Slow as in as in the fruit slow, yeah. not brilliant. No. It is. I didn't I didn't know that for till sixty years until I looked up. Yes, yeah, slow like the slow gin. Uh, that's why they were called slow. S L O E I because mm. it's dark eyed. Uh, uh, something that has never been attributed to me. Oh, uh, <laughs> the theater does all the heavy lifting. Then you've just seen. And ladies and gentlemen, that's all we've got time for this week. <laughs> what are we doing this morning, Peps? We have number one: when compliments go wrong. Mm. Number two: something you wish you had never chucked away. Oh, mm, I have that. Uh, number three: bluffing that you were rich. 
And number four, getting caught being nosy. Okay, we've got all of those uh, coming your way, and thank you for your contributions. Uh, we'll do it now. I'll stop it, audience out there. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're striking a, a new path soon. Uh, uh, when you said you've got something on there. Oh, no, it's, it's only relevant to this week. Um, I got fed up with a load of Wilbur's toys, sold them on eBay. And this week, last week, he came to me with big, wide eyes, like oh. the cat puss in boots in Shrek, going, where are my Gojetta's toys? Oh, that he no. never played with every morning. Will they be coming back? Perhaps oh, oh. we've got uh, clear plastic, big plastic cases out in our shed, full of things like um, Holly Pockets and, oh, yeah. and, and um, what's that, Micro Max or whatever that one was called. Uh, and we've got all of the... Uh, Sonny, by the way, is 33 in that these days. We've got all his Micro Maxes and all... Just of on the off chance. I know. I've got... I've got VHSs of, of Button, Moon and Rainbow because Bonnie always said, no, don't, don't chuck them away. <laughs> well, I might introduce Wilbur to Button, Moon. Oh, you got to. I have a bit you of Button, got Moon. To, no, no, but, but, what, give us something from over there, Peps. That's, that's the best way to move us on. This is from Dave in Croydon. Don't talk to me about parrots. I seem to remember you once wanting parrot stories, but if not, this is off-piste. I'm a tennis coach and in my early 20s got a new job and had to pick up the keys from the chairman of the new club. His house was only round the corner when I said I'd pop over. I was on my best behaviour as a very well-to-do elderly man answered the door and invited me in. He showed me into his living room and told me to wait while he went off to find the keys. The room was all Chesterfields and cut glass, but with one wall dedicated to exotic birds. I walked over and the birds' amazing colour and movement were very engaging. And he had a parrot that spoke and said, Hello! <laughs> I put my finger in the cage and made a little tweet-tweet sound. The bird <laughs> swooped down and went for it. So as I whipped my finger out the way, I opened the hinged door of the cage. Oh, right. In a flash, the bird flew straight out of the door, out of the open patio doors and into the trees in the garden. I closed the cage and walked back to the other side of the room. The chairman came back and the birds were all being very vocal, having seen their mate fly off to freedom. He said off the cuff, Oh, yeah, those birds are each worth £3,000. <gasps> no. Obviously, I took the keys and didn't say a word. As I drove out of his drive, I saw the parrot sitting on his roof. <laughs> I never turned up for work at the new club. I, I think they are. Most birds are homing birds. I don't think anyone listening to this uh, uh, show can say, well, you know what, uh, uh, we, we uh, a parrot or even a canary or whatever, a budgerigar flew out and never came back. They always do. Because they know where their cuttlefish is butter. Oh, well, yes. Uh, a beautiful story. It's just, this is uh, from a few weeks gone by. This is from our friend Tom Smith in Waiamauku in Auckland, New Zealand. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's get a bit of that uh, uh, New Zealand dollars in as well. We'll start that. I'm sorry if I seem nakedly aggressive in this. It's, after a year of not getting a tanner, <laughs> we, we feel 54. I have to sell my son's toys. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you've never parted with the uh, great dying toy, have you? Oh, no, 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 no. That's we need an update right. on that, Peps. We need an I'll up- go and find it, actually. We haven't done it since Five Live, hearing uh, how it's going, the uh, dying toys. I'll go and find them. If you ever want to send files, to, you know, uh, uh, audio files of dying toys or anything with the battery going, the front door, I know Phil Wilding will only be too happy to wade through them and bring them to you here on the show. Uh, Speaking of which, today's show is called Mark B, Mark B, and Mark B. And if you don't know why, here's a clue. A handbag. 
Now, this is from uh, Tom Smith in uh, Waimauku, okay, in, uh, in, in New Zealand. He says, back in 1999, I just started university in Sheffield. One day, our carefree lecture-skipping young heads decided we'd go down to the local park to test out some sporting implements, namely a cricket bat, a hurling stick, and a baseball bat. You see, I had claimed that a cricket bat would far out-hit all the other sticks after smashing some balls around. We did this for about an hour, and we needed to get back to our digs when we were stopped by a policeman who took my friend's baseball bat. He confiscated it as a weapon. The hurling stick and the cricket bat were not considered dangerous. We were told we couldn't have the baseball bat on the street and we could pick it up the next day at the local nick if we so wished. A day passed and we headed to pick up the bat, but while we were there, we saw a poster advertising for stooges to stand in ID parades, oh. identity parades. Now, I mentioned this the other uh, About a year ago? It doesn't matter. All our subjects remain open. Now, so he's gone to pick up this bat. He looks on the wall. Could you be a stooge? In a, I'm not sure that's the word they used. Anyway, he sees this. We inquired and discovered that for standing up and doing nothing, we would get 20 pounds. We signed up right on the spot. We gave all our basic info, our height, weight, iron hair color, and waited for the call. It proved to be quite an earner. The defending lawyer would often remove anyone he thought wasn't a good likeness to their candidate, but just still got paid. We became regulars and sometimes did two lineups in a week. I turned up one day to find there was a makeup artist sitting in the holding room. An officer came in and informed us that the alleged criminal didn't shave. So, each of we stooges was then coated in glue and had a sticky stick-on beard applied to our face. The poor sap accused stood out like a sore thumb with his real beard. <laughs> but we were happy to make up the work and it got us a magical 30 quid because it went over an hour and limbs is the rules. The crimes were often petty and weak, and trespass, things like that, nothing top level. Another time, we were provided baseball caps to mimic the perpetrator. All we stooges popped the hats on and we walked into the lineup and prepared for the alleged criminal to join us. As he did join us, we were all requested to raise our caps to the top of our heads like the lads in E17 did in the 90s. We looked utterly ridiculous. You never, you never told the result of the lineup, by the way. You just exited stage left. You oh. took off the dress ups, the sticky on beards, etc. Grabbed the cash, and away you went. I hope we get more stories on this topic from Tom Smith in New Zealand. <laughs> I wanted to know how many times. Well, he doesn't know. I wanted to know how many times he'd been wrongly You'd be accused. Yeah, being exactly. the accused. Well, when you're standing there with a beard as bad as Phil Collins wears in the film Buster, which is. I, I, which is, and I won't have any argument on this, the worst false hair in any film. <laughs> Phil Collins obviously couldn't, well, he, we've seen him with a beard, he does quite well. Mm. But the shooting schedule meant they had to get that old horse hair and stack it around his chops. Uh, have a look online if you want to see Phil Collins' beard in the film Buster. Give us something over there, Peps. Mm. Um, this is from Sean on Twitter. She said, uh, I've just seen your calls for tales of being of being caught being nosy. Mm. And it reminded me of a cringe-worthy incident involving a parked car and privacy glass. I was on the prowl for a new car at the time and whilst on a day out to the local park, saw a lovely people carrier. I'm naturally a bit beaky and trundled over a mooch, thinking the owners must be somewhere in the park having a nice time. I did the proper double-handed face-to-the-glass recce through the rear windscreen and loudly declared my disgust that this family must be right slovenly what-sits by the state of their boot. At this point, all notions of appraising the car on merits of suitability for purchase disappeared and I became some kind of vehicular Kim and Aggie. 
I move round to the passenger side, also equipped with privacy glass, not noticing the warning of this, and I had a good old nosy at the rear seat shouting to my mate, this was rank inside, and this makes my tin pot on wheels look gleaming. My friend beckoned me on. I said, oh, no, I'll only be a minute. Then came to inspect the front seats. Here we go. My friend is now calling my name with some urgency. I press my hands against the glass, turn my face to be met with a loathsome glare. If looks could kill, I would have combusted on the spot. Sitting in the passenger seat was a car owner, arms folded, seething. <laughs> my urge was immediately to tell her off for frightening me. <laughs> but I didn't take the hint, did I, heck? I stood there still peering back like a peeping Tom. <laughs> there was a short shot. Have you quite finished? Just as a burly man with a shouty child and three ice creams approached the driver's side and asked if I needed any help. I quickly complimented him on his choice of car, apologised to his cross spouse and trotted off past my friend, who was by now utterly helpless. We had to hide in the museum loos until they'd naffed off home. <laughs> I would not, I would not in a million years uh, go up and try to look through uh, uh, try their privacy glass. What do you mean, the blacked out windows? Is that I like, see the yeah, tinted. Why yeah. would you do that? Who, who are you hoping to see? David Bowie? Ah, that's why you've done it. How extraordinary you would have that kind of nerve. And uh, who's that from, by the way? Sean. John, I've got to tell you, um, uh, we admire the verve that you brought to your side <laughs> of the story, but we were all quite aghast. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, my friend. Now, we're going to take a, a little short break here, but there's plenty to be done, as you know. Apologies for indulging ourselves. It'll never happen again, and we'll be back in Stanta. Good morning, everybody. It's the Danny Baker Show, radiating out across the airwaves. Come the sunshine or the rain, come aboard the Danny train. We'll kick our slippers off and throw our cares away. What better thing to do than have a jolly jape or two? Don't touch that dial, there's nowhere else to go. Come and join a happy session, wave ta ta to the recession. On the Danny Baker Show. Take it away, Danny. And we're back, like Jack Slack. <laughs> Peps, any idea who Jack Slack is? Nope. Any idea who Jack Slack is? Is this one of your mum's phrases, or are we going No, to it, it does sound like one of my mum's phrases. <laughs> you, Jack Slack, when you're just sitting trying to enjoy how. Uh, so, uh, uh, Jack Slack uh, was the winner of the first international boxing match ever held. <laughs> uh, yes, in 1754. He was the very first sort of world champion, I suppose. He beat Jean Petit of France in 106 rounds. Did he kill him in the last one? I mean, no, that, no, that's by no means the longest boxing match has ever been held. They just used to keep going. You got bang for your buck in the old days. It's, it's like booking a John Lewis delivery. All right, you can watch this fight between one and two, then you've got to get out. It's going to carry on all day. So uh, welcome back, everybody. Thank you for being with us uh, today. Uh, there's a couple of things I do want to... Uh, 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 bring you from because uh, today is such a full fulsome you've heard already about over the rainbow you heard about mm. you heard about the first ever corned beef sandwich in space uh, but also there's you've got your uh, nathaniel c wyeth who with all the best intentions brought the world invention that the world embraced and loved but now because the world has turned People may spit on the ground when they hear the name Nathaniel C. Wyeth. He invented the plastic drinks bottle. Oh, I know, I know, and he, you know, he made a fortune off a of it. A scourge. Nineteen seventy-three. That seemed very recent. 
Uh, I mean, I had yes, cans and it was glass bottles, but the plastic uh, uh, drinks bottle, 1973 patented. That seems well like into the 80s, I would have thought, before they were properly embraced. No, I am thought... The notion of going out and buying a bottle of water when there's some in the tap. Not water. No, no, no bottle of... I've mentioned this before. Bottles of water. Oh, I'm assuming bottle of water. No, of course. Bottles of Coke and... Coca-Cola, yeah, and everything. Yeah, no, of course, and yeah. Sorry. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, certainly in the 60s, it was just cans and uh, and glass. And mm. then, then uh, he can't keep his nose out. Brea Wyeth comes along with a plastic bottle. And now look where we are. Mm. Now look... No, plastic... Uh, Bottles of water, still, I feel, I mean, I have them, I enjoy them. But they're still, it, I remember going to Spain in the 1970s where they sold bottled water in shops. We used to roll on the floor laughing. <laughs> we did. And they buy water here. <laughs> Honestly, we marvelled at it. They sell bottles of water. How weird. Uh, so, uh, again, something from there, Pepsi, if you could, you start off. Uh, this is from Stephen in Huddersfield. Stephen's been very expressive, so um, sit back. Uh, this is when animals attack. Subtitle, oh. Les Songes Dangereux. <laughs> As he says, we open in the beautiful Perigord region of France in a blazing hot summer sometime in the early 90s. A group of us were taking a gîte holiday after an exhausting few weeks of university exams. One day, we set out on a trip to the town of Rocamador. Oh, I've been there. Oh. And noticed a sign for La Forêt des Songes, Forest of the Monkeys. Oh. Now, I'm no fan of Br'er Monkey. I think they think a lot of themselves. But the others ruled the day and we pulled into a car park. As the lady at the kiosk was stamping and tearing the tickets, I noticed a large bowl of popcorn. I gestured towards it and she said, to appease the monkeys. Oh, an offering. The choice of words struck me as quite strange and I felt quite apprehensive. We each grabbed a handful of popcorn and made our way through the gates and into the forest of the monkeys. Being British, we expected some sort of fencing or ditches that would allow us to see the monkeys without getting near them. But no, this is France, so of course, all they'd done was build a big wooden enclosure and fill it with Barbary apes. Oh, that it. wonderful. There was zero distancing. The first area was filled with mothers and baby apes all darting about and squealing and tapping up visitors for popcorn. I decided to forge ahead along a path through the forest and soon found myself alone on an open stone-sided pathway between the areas of the forest. And there, in the middle of the path, was the biggest male ape I have ever seen. Hugely physical and imposing. As I approached, I recall I said, all right, mate. At which point the ape <laughs> thrust out an open paw. Ah, a gatekeeper. I gently placed a piece of popcorn on his paw and in an instant it was scoffed and the paw returned to its outstretched position. <laughs> I just stood there all day. I love things like that. More popcorn. More popcorn. No more popcorn. <laughs> I apologised and tried to edge past him. And at this point, he, with a languid and determined shift of weight, drew himself round to face me and placed his paws on my waist. I mentioned now it was midsummer, and I don't wish to venture below the belt, as I know Danny doesn't like it, but Rita, no. I was commando. <laughs> and I felt the long claws come to rest inside the elastic of my Ned's Atomic Dustbin shorts. I could feel... <laughs> I could feel his warm breath. There was nothing I could do. If I tried to move, I reasoned, at worst, he would attack me. Given the proximity of these claws to my important places, I thought there it would start and end. <laughs> and at best, I would escape sans shorts to the amusement of a park full of visitors. So we waited. 
For what felt like an hour, but was probably only a matter of minutes, we both stood still. I heard voices and my friends caught up. And after their laughter died down, I explained the situation and business with the claws, and three friends tipped remaining popcorn some distance away. Gently, his paws slid from my waistband, and terrifyingly calm, he sauntered over to eat the popcorn. I can't really remember the much of the tour or the rest of the day, but I can remember with clarity mesmerizing minutes spent in a dreaded embrace with a gigantic ape. Oh, fantastic. The fact he'd figured out now there's no point scaring these people or trying to get physical and violent with them. What you do is, once you've got the last bit of popcorn, you say, have you got any more? And if they say no, the, the, the great ape has realized, then I'm going to debag you in front of everyone. How does that feel? And then the standoff begins. I would much rather, you know, they attacked and, and pummeled me and said, I'm going to drop these unless you find more popcorn from somewhere. <laughs> He's going to pull his trousers down. That's why I, I, I'd spend all day in there. I'd spend all day in there. Especially guiding friends over. Go and give, give that one over there some. <laughs> Can you feel my thumbs in your waistband? <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they will come down like the flag over the empire. <laughs> well done, Brew Monkey. Well done indeed. Uh, this is uh, about throwing stuff away from Andy. It's always an Andy. Uh, in the Second World War, my granddad Arthur was a fireman and spent the war at home in Bedford. He was quite happy as he had had his first child, a daughter to him, and Alice, called Marion. Bedford didn't really get much attention from the Luftwaffe, so he spent most of his time in the various pubs around Bedford. One such led me to meet a certain Captain Glenn Miller, who was at the Twinwoods Air Base in Clapham. How about that? Glenn made Marion a doll's house for her birthday, and she played with it almost every day until it was thrown away. Oh! Glenn Miller's doll's house was thrown away, and Glenn famously died not long after. Now, that is extraordinary detail. I mean, I don't... That I, generation for throwing things away. I've told well, you before, my granddad chopped up my mum's piano for firewood. That very, very popular sport that was. Uh, it was chopping up pianos on television. I think I might have reminded you, but I'd have queued up at a museum. Yeah, King Tut to the left, Glenn Miller's Doll's House to the right. That's the toss of a coin, that one. But there's more. Listen to this. And this one really wrenches at my heart. You could say this kind of destruction runs in the family. As Arthur's son, Brian, my dad, went to see the Beatles in concert at the Bedford Corn Exchange one Sunday night not long after Love Me Do was released. He stayed and helped them pack their van up. In return, they gave him a signed poster, which he chucked away as he walked home. <laughs> Thanks, Andy, yeah. Andy, you don't need me. Maybe you do need me to tell you. That signed poster from 63 by the Beatles, fully signed, would now be worth more than 20 thousand pounds the poster on its own would be plenty fully signed post over 20 grand all day long the outside of Sotheby's that had chain mail nets to drag you in yeah it chucked that away now that oh. uh, and I've got to say that that's, throws into sharp relief Glenn Miller's doll's house uh, <laughs> but no, tremendous stories thank you very much indeed Andy uh, one more just um, uh, uh, on this day thing because it has been a, a tremendous day Beatrix Potter's birthday oh. as we speak now Beatrix Potter uh, now Beatrix right you mentioned names earlier on I wanted to call Wilbur Beatrix if he was a girl you are joking no you're kidding no. well you could have had Google almost to yourself because here's a lot of fun now kids I know you're all uh, you love the technology out there here's a br brand new game if you go on uh, Google 
and put in Beatrix Potter, but say Beatrix, uh, if you put in Beatrix and put minus Potter, you know, you can mm. use the word by putting the minus, put Beatrix minus Potter, it just freaks out and clears the floor for the Queen of Netherlands. That's the only other one. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't like it. It's all Beatrix Potter. We just leave Potter out of it. It's, oh, um, uh, it takes about a minute to get itself together. And then all you've got is the one in the Netherlands. You were going to call. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I liked Beatrice and I thought, oh, I should go a bit different. And, and liked Beatrix. Simon wasn't so keen on it, but I, I was pretty I, I adamant. I, don't, I, I think that was that's... the third Beatrix in the world. Now, are we saying Beatrix or Beatrix? Are we, what are we saying here? It's Beatrix. Oh, it's it Beatrix. Beatrix or is it Beatrice? Uh, Beatrix. Uh, uh, Beatrix. People might be shouting at their The device. more you say it, the weirder you feel. I know, I know. I know, Beatrix. It, Beatrix. <laughs> it's the crisps thing all over again, isn't it? Something from there, perhaps. Um, well, we we were somewhat askance. We looked askance at, um, I think it was Charlie last week who said he'd seen a dog run out of a butcher's with a string of sausages. In his mouth. He assured us on Twitter it was most genuine, but this is from Den. You like the way that when we're actually doing it in the moment, it's that's a great email, thank you. The following week, when it, we, we figured it, he said, nah, no, we don't, we don't, we didn't buy that for a second. But uh, so, what have we got? This is from Den. The story of the dog at the butcher's last week reminded me of an incident with a dog many years ago. Myself and two friends were going for a walk along the beach at Sunderland from Roker to Seaburn. And as we were walking, a rather large bull terrier decided to join us. He just tagged along. He was nothing to do with us. As we were walking along the beach, we passed a towel with a bag and socks and shoes that belonged to a woman and her kids who were paddling in the sea. As we walked on, we heard shouting behind us and turned round to see the dog had been in the lady's bag and was removing sausages from her bag. Mm. They'd been wrapped in paper and the dog was unravelling unravelling it. The woman was running towards the dog who had legged it with one sausage in his mouth and the sausages, rest of the sausages behind. She thought it was our dog and gave us a right mouthful. We kept shouting back it wasn't our dog, but she didn't believe us. This wasn't the end of the matter though. The dog abandoned the sausages and continued to follow us. Further along the beach it took a shine to a ball that some kids were kicking about and sunk its teeth into it, deflating it. The kids were distraught and again wouldn't believe it wasn't our dog. <laughs> we had to disappear into a now demolished pub called the Bay Hotel and look out the window till the dog had gone. Wow, man, you know what? That dog and that ape over in France, <laughs> they're, they're, they're either pen pals or close friends anyway, because I reckon they get together in the morning, so what are you doing today? So I'm gonna do the old pulling the pants down on the tourists, yeah? Now yeah, I'm gonna pretend to be with a family and cause all kinds of trouble. And they split up and compare stories at the end of the day, yeah? The, that idea of a dog just following you, it, it's, it, oh. it, we've had some over the years like that, but I can never resist uh, always saying uh, about my father-in-law, Jim, when is that Jim? It was always, always 75 years old. No matter when you see Jim, he, he had 10 kids, he worked at Ford's and he looked a little bit like a bald, uh, Albert Steptoe, uh, he kind of did. Or Jackie Wright, who used to be with Benny Hill, and he spoke like this old Jim. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Even they, they all, the family always should say, what about you, Dad? Over at that time, we was at uh, Westcliff, walking along the front, and Jim smoked a pipe all his life. And as the, he and the, the brood all went along the top at Westcliff, 
he was puffing on his pipe and he used to walk rather like Prince Philip with his hands behind him and the pipe in it. And an Alsatian dog ran up, took the pipe out of his hands and ran away, <laughs> ran ahead of them down the pier. And when he always says, and it had the property, had the stem in its mouth and everything. And I just like to think of the people further down the front who see this dog coming towards the fucking pipe. <laughs> Jim said, blame you see, I never got it back. He just went <laughs> to his pipe and away it went. But being those people now to just sing, yeah, that dog smoke in a pipe. <laughs> this is a this is from uh, what you got Nibs in Bolton, uh, and it, it is last week was asking. Uh, um, I, I think I'm, it was on the list. Is it of things you only use saw in the pictures or something like that? Oh yes, yes, yes. You, you went week. to see the. Um... Was it Bless This House? You were like the only. I person? saw the Bless This House film. I don't think anyone else saw that in the pictures. They must have done because they made a fortune. But my memory, you know, you just to go in there just for something to do when it was raining. You see the sitcoms made into films. But this is a uh, uh, Nibs in Bolton. Back in the early 70s, I have a recollection of my brother and I being taken to the cinema to watch a film starring Dick Emery. You know, that would have been, ooh, you are awful, the film. Yes, it is. Uh, from what I can recall, and he's right here, the plot revolved around Dick getting dressed up as his various characters, the vicar, the old lady, Magic, Magic and all of those. And of course, ooh, you are awful, but I like you, lady. Uh, Mandy, that is. Uh, just correcting him. If everyone would refer to that again, it's Mandy. So Dick getting dressed up as his characters, and he had to track down and uncover a series of tattoos that were located on various ladies' backsides. Now, the oh. I just want to pause it. Now you do that, it's not quite as crass as it sounds. Let me put that another way. It's as crass as it sounds, but it's not <laughs> the worst film. Uh, he's in prison and the I think it's the map location or the safe numbers uh, for his cellmate, who uh, might be passing away, says, it, uh, I tattooed them on his various lovers behind, two at a time. And so Dick has to chase down these women and somehow find a way to see their rear ends. Now, I'm not. I'm just saying that's the plot of I'm the picture in the writer's room for this. I know, uh, I know. How can we? I know, I know. But uh, anyway, when the tattoos were deciphered and grouped together, they formed some kind of uh, key to hidden cash. Yes, he says that. Anyway, I can still remember my mum's face looking over my dear old dad in complete horror. As they had chosen this film, they thought it would be suitable for a nine and five year old. There is a lot of buttock in this film. Yes, there is, <laughs> amongst other things. Thank you, Nibs. Uh, in, the only reason I speak in vaguely in defence of, I mean, I like Dick Emery a lot, uh, it is, yes, it's a cheaply made, knocked out film with a ludicrous plot, sub carry on. Of course it is. But, uh, for locations, it's all shot around uh, uh, London in, in the early 70s. Ooh. And it's one of those films where I, I, I've watched it quite a few times. You pause it and think, oh man, look at that. I'd love to just mm. walk around in there. Not just always in central London, but on streets around and bomb sites. And it's you know good for most of the big cities around. It is an absolute time capsule to look at. <laughs> I sound like the bloke who says only boy play, only buy Playboy for the article. <laughs> <laughs> But that's the truth of it. Yes, there is a lot of, um, well, what our ape friend in, in in France tried to expose. There's a lot of that. And the plot has to contort itself to make these poor actresses give up the bum. But uh, uh, the, as, as a location shoot, I won't give it up on this. <laughs> anyway, he saw that at the pictures and he doesn't know anyone else who did. Quick one, you got peps? This is just quickly from Martin in Leicestershire. He said, I saw this and it made me laugh there's a website called next door and, and this sort of thing has proliferated during lockdown where 
local communities, you, you tell each other about, you know, local things or ask for help, etc. Mm-hmm. He said, one added by my neighbour caught my eye. It says, Daryl, I was sent out to buy a white cabbage and came home with a cauliflower. One cauliflower now going for free if anyone is willing to pick it up from XYZ Road. We will arrange this at a two metre distance. P.S. Would consider a swap if anyone has a white cabbage. <laughs> Martin says, imagine getting home, realising you've naffed up the order, then cracking, cranking up the computer to suggest a swap. <laughs> that is, uh, and we'll do swaps, uh, we'll do swaps, or some say swapsies. That is the most ludicrous swap in the history, I think, of, of Noel Edmonds. Uh, he was offering uh, a cabbage at a two metre distance. Just chuck at a two metre distance, a cauliflower for a white cabbage. We're going to wind it up there, I think, because uh, that's, that's, that's about the show in a nutshell or in a cabbage leaf. Uh, so, uh, but I understand that I've sounded a little all over the place on the microphone today, and I couldn't understand it because um, uh, this is exactly the same setup as we've had since lockdown, and it usually works. But as you went into that story, Peps, I realised, oh yes, that's what's different. I usually have this microphone set upon a towel uh, to absorb any kind of, yeah, and I moved it to take the towel away because uh, where I record it just outside is where the dog's water bowl is. And I kicked it on the other night to let him out. It went all over the place. And I said, oh, where's a towel <laughs> from under the microphone here? This is the age we're living in now. <laughs> Even the BBC have to do this kind of racket. And I took the towel from under the microphone. I mopped up all the water I'd spilled all over the floor, put that out in the garden where it's been raining ever since. But that, ladies and gentlemen, is why the mighty empire of the treehouse may not have been as orally uh, uh, magnificent as usual. Don't blame me. Blame the idiot dogs. Anyway, that'll uh, do us, I believe. Play the theme tune, if you will, Phil. One, two, three, four. Climb up, go in, let's cozy down. Wave goodbye to that silly frown as we chase our cares away. In the treehouse. The fire's on, it's warm inside. We guarantee you'll be satisfied as we laugh the day away. This has been the uh, Midweek Treehouse. We'll be back again on Saturday with details of what the future holds for us. And I hope you'll come with us as a hack turns onto the side of our head into a brand new day. Thank you to Louise Napoleon Pepper on the other side of London, the great granddaughter of Ho Chi Minh. Phil Wilding, who has to cobble this thing together with uh, Dixie Cup as I've been broadcasting today. But it's all back to normal next week or as normal as the show ever gets. And it's always thanks to Chiefly Yourselves. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.